Blog Talk Radio. Five, four, three, two, one. This means that Donald Trump will be the 45th president of the United States. And now it's time for your political menage a trois. Join Lisa O'Brien, Sean Castleberry, and Brad Hicks. They are the American Idiots, and it starts now. Oh, you were finished. Oh, well, allow me to retort. All right, America. Welcome to the American Idiots. This is Sean Castleberry along with Lisa and Michael, your co-host here at the American Idiots podcast. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the case of Liddell Lee. He was convicted of a capital crime here in Arkansas back in 1993 and he was actually put to death last year. A lot of people are saying that he was an innocent man, and we're going to talk about that case tonight. We also have Miss Deborah Robinson here, a local reporter from the Little Rock area, and she's going to be discussing insights that she brought uh, in her story about Liddell Lee. So without further ado, we're going to go ahead and bring Miss Deborah on. Miss Deborah, how are you tonight? I am well. How are you? Hi, Sean. Hi, Michael. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Deborah. So glad to have uh, to, to be here tonight. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, we're happy that you're here. Uh, can you go ahead and tell us a little bit about the case in itself? Okay. Well, where do where do I start? Uh, I guess I can start with uh, a couple years ago. I know you all probably remember uh, when the governor made an announcement that he was going to put to death uh, eight men, all in the span of a week. Um, At that time, I had uh, just interviewed the governor and didn't realize that that was sort of like on his agenda. And so uh, once he made that announcement, I reached out to those eight men that he was set to execute and asked if I could uh, tell their stories while they were still here, uh, the time that they were still here, if they would allow me to. And all of them agreed. And, and of course, we know that all of them, uh, the executions were held off. And then the next time the governor set those executions, he did set them for eight people, but one of those, um, one of the eight had already been taken off of the list because he was not executed. And they had put another young man on the list, and uh, that man was Liddell Lee. Um, And so over the past year and a half, between the two execution dates, I had been speaking with and communicating with the other men, but I had never communicated with Liddell. So when I communicated with him and asked him if he would allow me to tell his story, he had a one-line answer to me, and he said, if I can prove to you my innocence, will you help me save my life? Wow. Yeah. And uh, he connected me with his family. And he said that his family had everything that I needed. So I went over and I sat with his mom and I sat with his sister and we pulled out all of the paperwork, all of the documents. 
everything that uh, that 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 he felt showed that he was innocent. And uh, after I went through all of that work, um, it was sort of it was two weeks to the day, the day that he contacted me, and then the day he was executed. It was two weeks, and in those two weeks. I aggressively went through every piece of paperwork that I can, that I could, trying to find a way to, 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 to see if he was innocent. And after I went through everything, with everything that is in me as a journalist and with the research, I really believe that he was innocent. And, and I tried to do everything that I could to, of course, and so many other people did as well, to stop the execution, but... Uh, the state was really on a uh, on a hunt, and and they were not going to, um, to 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 stop everybody, and and it's just really really tragic. I believe that the state of Arkansas did indeed execute an innocent man. Well, okay. and that's something interesting, Deborah, that you say. You know, we talk about them uh, running through these eight executions. I believe it was in seven days. Uh, that they, or maybe it was 10, that they were planning on. Uh, go ahead. I know you said you it wasn't on the governor's agenda and stuff like that. How did you feel? I know the country just on the pure fact alone that we were going to execute these inmates in, you know, they almost called it like an assembly line. How did you, without uh, knowing Liddell or any of the other inmates, before that, how did you feel about just the simple fact being that that was about to happen with the, you know, quote-unquote assembly line. Well, that's the, that's the crazy thing because as a freelance journalist, I, I basically choose my stories. And when I know that something, like, hits me and affects me in, in a certain way, I know that it's something that I should do. And when the governor was on and I heard him say that he was setting the execution base for these eight people, I literally started shaking, started crying. I couldn't control myself. I didn't understand why I was having such, you know, such a reaction because I didn't know any of these men. I mean, I hadn't even really thought about the death penalty to a degree to where I would say I would, you know, work for or against it. I just knew that something here was calling me to work on this story. And uh, and so I said, okay, well, what can I do? Uh, this is all that I could do was try to tell their stories while they still lived to try to give them some sense of I was here. What here? Here's my story. Um, and and out of all of the out of all of the men, there were only uh, at at first there was only one who who said he was innocent. And then once they put um, Liddell Lee on the list. Of course, Liddell Lee as well said he was innocent, but all of the others um, confessed their their guilt. And so it was a different kind of story for me in, in talking with them because each of them, you know, they said, hey, I did what, you know, what they said I did. I'm sorry, but please don't execute me. But it was a different thing for um, for Liddell. Um, from the very beginning, he had said he was innocent. So he had never changed his story. He had never changed his, um, what he was trying to do. And he had always been trying to get the story out. And I want to say that the interesting thing about most people on death row, especially those who say they are, uh, that they did it, they're guilty. Most of their families are not there anymore. You can, you know, they don't have people to, 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 to be with them, to speak with them, to support them. 
uh, because families don't really know how to handle when a loved one has has admitted to such heinous crimes as some of the men uh, admitted to. They don't know how to handle it, so they kind of like, and, and after what, 24, 25 years, that's unsustainable uh, support for most of them, so they kind of like just go away and and, and these men are left with nobody to, to talk to and nobody to depend on. But what I found with Liddell Lee's family is they, they have always, always been here. Uh, from the moment he gave me their number, I made the phone call, and literally we were in touch from, from that moment up until now, and we still communicate about the case um, and, and still in hopes of, of bringing justice to what has happened here. So he has a very, very supportive family, um, and 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 the family has, has has always been here and has always supported his claims of innocence. All right. Um, now, get, getting back to the case, uh, from what I've read, uh, there there was no physical evidence that actually tied him to the crime. It was all circumstantial, and one of those was an eyewitness that basically said, hey, I saw this guy outside this lady's house uh, during the time of when it could have possibly happened. And that that was the basis of his conviction, right? Uh, y- yes, and what's so, what's so interesting about that is you, they had – they literally – now, if you have to look at the, what happened with uh, Deborah Reese. She was she was a 26 year old female. Uh, now, of course, the, we'll see later that of course race plays an issue when you have a a, a black man who's accused of of uh, of killing a white woman. But race race definitely played an issue in the trial. It played an issue in the in, in, in everything as it goes forth. But but here's Deborah uh Deborah Reese and and, and we still want to know who killed Deborah Reese because Liddell Lee didn't do it. Somebody did and that's just she, her her murder should be brought to justice. So so that is a whole nother issue out there. Who did kill Deborah Reese? But Deborah Reese was found on her bed. She had been bludgeoned to death with um with um, a, a tire thumper, you know, sort of like a little a hammer, you know, sort of like a, a bat sort of like thing. A tire thumper, she'd been bludgeoned to death, and there was blood everywhere, and they also said she'd been choked. So blood everywhere, blood on the sheets, blood on the wall, blood on the back, you know, and nothing on the on that scene connected Liddell Lee to it. They had on the murder weapon. They were not his. They had two prints in the house. They were not his. They had, uh, he had, um, they collected finger swabs from him. None, 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 nothing from Liddell Lee put him in that house, put him at the scene of the murder. All they had was an eyewitness who said they saw Liddell Lee leave that house and they watched him and they identified him. Well, that same witness admitted that he lost contact with whoever he say he saw for at least five minutes. So you lost contact with someone and then you find someone and you say, okay, that's him. Well, hours later, they arrested Liddell Lee. He had no blood on him. Yes, go ahead. Oh. I don't believe anything said 
anybody said something. Go okay. ahead, ma'am. I'm sorry. Okay, okay. Uh, so hours after the murder, they arrested Liddell Lee, and in court there was testimony that said that because that murder scene was so bloody, there was no way that the person who did it could not have had blood on him, could not have had some sort of evidence that they were in the room. Uh, Liddell Lee was arrested. He had no blood on his clothes. Said they had a little bit of blood on a tennis shoe, but it wasn't even enough for them to test. They used it up trying to test it. So, but you're going to tell me that it's blood? How do you know it's blood? So we're still not, you know, not convinced that it was blood on the shoe. So a little fat of blood, that big, even if it were, that sort of bloody, bloody crime scene would have caused something more to be there. That his tennis shoes, everything he had on, had no blood on them. So there was no evidence to connect him other than an eyewitness who's saying, hey, I saw him leave and there he is again, but I lost track of him for about five minutes. So um, there's, there's a lot of other things that comes along with that eyewitness as well. But, but yeah, that's, that's all they had. And um, and it, it's just amazing. You wonder how how they can convict someone on that little evidence. Now, and was we'll there something to? Yeah, was there something to do with a, a, a hundred dollar bill or something that they said that he took from her? Yes, there was as well a hundred dollar bill that they said that um, was at the same place. Um, they they said that he had gone to pay a bill at the same place where they found a $100 bill that was most likely that came from a stack of $100 bills that her husband had given her. So those were the two items, a $100 bill that they said was at a place where he went to, and um, and it and it and it probably came from the stack that he had given that his wife that he, that his her husband had given her, and then you had the eyewitness. But that's it. But 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 how can how can that even arresting him hours later, when you have no physical evidence of him being in the house? You have evidence. You have fingerprints. You have fiber. You have hair. You have shoe prints. But you don't have anything that connects Goodell Lee. Now, Miss Ever, I got a question for you here. Uh, whenever they obviously, you know, we have a quite a bit of circumstantial evidence that, uh, occurring here with this case, and then also the West Memphis Three case. So I kind of want to draw a little bit of a parallel here. Did they zone in just directly on Liddell as soon as they started the investigation, and they never moved off of him? Or were there alternate suspects that they ever checked into? There were, uh, there, there was mention of other, of, of other possibilities, but it never went. It, they, I, I don't believe that they looked into it. They, they stuck with Liddell, and 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 that that could be for several reasons. Liddell was not. Uh, they, they knew who he was in the in the neighborhood because he had just gotten. Um, off of, um, he had just gotten out of jail on, I believe it was a theft charge or something. So it wasn't like he was, that they knew who he was. So uh, that may have been 
something there. And then I also have family who shared with some conflicts that he had with the Jacksonville Police Department. So it wasn't like he was a stranger to them. They knew who he was, and they just went after him. Okay, so we have two circumstantial pieces of evidence. Um, one is an eyewitness that said that he saw him in the area, and one is a, is a $100 bill that was at a store that he that he went to that day. So anyone could have gone to that store and dropped that $100 bill. It might not necessarily have been him. So, again, that's circumstantial. But, yeah, Sean, I do want to ask this, Deborah. Uh, you know, Lisa posed this question in the uh, in the group chat here. And it really does. I do, you know, want to get everything out there, too, for the people. Uh, apparently, the $100 bill, I want to look at that a little bit more. Uh, apparently, there were three $100 bills that her father had given her, and they were in a sequential order. And that's where uh, they were saying that, you know, he had gotten that from her house, ever. Yes, they said that they said that the the hundred the money was stolen out of her uh, out of her purse, and so um, there were. But but here here's now now here here I know I know that this is going to sound far fetched, but but here's the key: if you can arrest a guy who has no evidence, no physical evidence of being at the scene, well then I I don't know if I can trust you not to plant money because if you go back and look at and you listen to the trial you read the trial transcript there was in question who handled that hundred dollar bill and when it was put into evidence when it was checked in and who checked it out and those were the same officers that that liddell had issues with so i i don't know if i can trust that you really got that hundred dollar bill from that store when you've arrested me and I there's no evidence, so I can't I can't trust that. That's not enough for me to say, oh yes, he did it, because there's nothing right. else. But wait, according to the trial record, the link between him, Reynolds Center, and that bill were established. He went they, into Reynolds Center and paid a bill. Yes. And Reynolds Center yes. got three hundred dollar bills that day. One of them was in the same sequence as the bills that Deborah Reese's father had. So that link was established at trial. I, I, don't, I don't understand that suddenly the police officers have planted, the, planted that money at Rent-A-Center. It's not, it's not a suddenly. Oh if you read the transcript, it's not a suddenly, Lisa. If you read the transcript, the transcript will tell you that that was even questioned at trial. Who handled the $100 bill? When it was checked in, when it was checked out. That was a question at trial. I didn't just bring that up. That was it, something that was questioned at trial. Question. It, it wasn't ever a question during any of the appeals or the Rule 37 or Federal uh, Habeas. I can't tell you when it was a question because if you've seen the file, the file is 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 a huge box. It's got a lot in it. But I read the 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 the, the questioning on the hundred dollar bill. At which trial it was, I'm not sure. But remember, I'm 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 getting back to when you see when you are when you have a history of um, a false arrest of 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 
when you have a history that African Americans have with the police department, you don't just believe everything. And it's not just that it's an accusation. There is evidence and proof. And not only that, even one of the officers that handled the money, even that officer had already been um, not just accused but caught in presenting false evidence of some stuff that they had done. So it's not, I'm, I'm not saying. What hey, was his name? I, I'm, I'm sorry. Was, I, can't tell you, I can't tell you his name. I don't have the records in front of me. And I wrote the article in April, so I can't tell you the exact name of the officer. But if you're on, if you're on Facebook and uh, I will, I will post it there for you when I, when I grab that information for you. But, but, but okay. here's what I'm saying. It is, it's, it's, not, it's not that I'm bringing up something that's totally new. All I'm saying is if you have no evidence other than that, you've got to have something more than that. Where, where are, whose fingerprints were on the murder weapon? Whose footprints were in the house? Whose hair was found there? Whose fiber was found there? Where yeah, is I the murder? If, if, if Madame yeah. Lee was not at the scene, where is the murderer? No, I would definitely agree with that. And, you know, going back to that $100 bill, um, again, just because he went to that store doesn't mean the killer didn't go to that store or that the victim herself didn't go to that store earlier that day. They just know someone spent no, $300 no, that's there. Sorry, Sean. That's not an explanation. There's no – I guess because of the way I look at things. Um, yeah. Uh, in fact, you know, I think um, I'm really not but, feeling good. Let me, and my let me say this. Me, so I'm going to call it a night, guys. Thank you. Goodbye. Uh, goodbye, Lisa. Uh, mm. Concerning what Lisa was just saying, even if, let's just say, even if Liddell Lee took that $100 bill into Rent-A-Center, that does not say he killed Deborah Reese. That, that could say maybe he got it somewhere else. Who knows? But the fact is there was no evidence of Liddell Lee being at the crime scene when there was evidence. It would be different if there was no evidence. It would be different if there were no fingerprints. It would be different if there was no fingerprints on the murder weapon. There were no shoe prints. There was no hair. There was no fiber. It would be totally different. But to ignore all of the evidence and then just convict a man, that doesn't make sense. Well, unfortunately, here in America, it happens every day. You know, they they formulate uh, a hypothesis of what they think has happened. They have a suspect. Their story that fits with the best suspect, whether they're innocent or not, usually that's what happened. And unfortunately, it looks like it may have happened here in this case. You know, uh, again, Lisa, you know, she was trying to bring up that, uh, you know, that $100 bill was crucial to establish the fact that he had gone to that store that actual bill had been found there but again that doesn't mean you know this is a small neighborhood i i know jacksonville very well uh anybody that was in that neighborhood could have done that and lee just by circumstance may happen to go to the same store that's all i was trying to make a point with her yeah yeah so 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 i i i'm just saying let's get to the real evidence of the murder let's get back to the room into the murder scene yes I got a question about the money as well. Okay, my thing is this here. Money is transacting in a whole different way, right? If you gave me a hundred dollar bill that you stole from somebody, right? And you give it to me and I go use it at the store. Okay, how do I know if this is hundred dollar bill is stolen? You know what I mean? 
Right. Certainly, we don't know I can certainly see how circumstantial that would be. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's just like, there's no video of him giving that $100 bill where they can actually say that's the $100 bill. So it's no, circumstantial. Right. Right, exactly. And you, you know, especially in a case like this where eventually it did get to the point where we're, I guess we can go ahead and transition into the trial. But eventually it got to the point where, you know, a man was put on death row. I don't think. You know, just as we have discussed here, especially in Arkansas about West Memphis 3, you cannot gamble somebody's life with circumstantial evidence, in my opinion. That's that's correct. And if if everything else, guys, had been so perfect in the trial, I would still say, okay, well, maybe so. But now you have to start looking at how this, this case was really just textbook for for conflicted counsel, judicial overreach. It was it was I can't even believe that the things that happened within the trial happened and that they were allowed to happen, which makes you believe that something else was happening. Little Rock, Jacksonville were such a small place. Jacksonville is a very small place. So when you have the judge dating this, the senior prosecuting attorney and then marrying her, you haven't, we have an issue with my case when she's – we have an issue there. When, when you yeah, have – so, 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 so all of these things are happening. So, so now you really want me to believe in a $100 bill? You want me to believe in a $100 bill when my counsel is ineffective and I'm arguing that they're ineffective and I can't get new counsel and the judge refuses to give me new counsel, but there's just so much that's so wrong with this case. can't even believe that it went forth the way it did. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And one thing I want to ask you about, I guess maybe this was before the trial. Once again, I'm, 28 so I was three when all this went down so I'm getting a lot of uh, I'm getting a lot of my information off of Wikipedia and things like that one thing I do want to ask you about though is uh, there is a section in here post arrest rape convictions and prosecution uh, apparently there was a couple of situations a uh, 22 year old Christine Lewis and uh, another one as well that I don't see just right off the top of my uh, eyes here just skimming through it but uh, I guess there was a little bit more trouble for Mr. Lee going into the trial uh, could that have potentially number one could that have potentially swayed anything as far as you know jurors you know you try to sequester them as much as possible but I'm sure they watch the news just like just about everybody does you know of a night you know you watch your local news at least I mean there seems like a lot was going on in Mr. Lee's life as far as, you know, things that could have affected anybody's mindset as far as this trial goes. Absolutely. Well, well, the the first thing um, was definitely once they arrested uh, Mr. Lee, they did pin on him three additional rape charges. They tried to do three. I think two of them ended up uh, going forward. So they did pin on him three adi- those additional rape charges. Now, here we are in 1993. We are trying the O.J. Simpson case of killing and murdering his wife. We're trying right. that case at the same time we're trying Liddell Lee. 
So, and not only that, there, there were articles, because this was a very highly publicized case. There were articles that compared the two cases with, with Jacksonville mm-hmm. saying we're not going to let him get off. We let OJ get They let OJ get off. We're not going to let him get off. So what really happens is here you got a prosecutor who decides, okay, we're going to make sure that we get them on something. So they connect, they combine, they join those three murder cases and allow the jury to hear ev- to, to, to hear evidence that he hadn't even been convicted on one of them, I don't believe. But anyway, they right. heard the evidence. So you have a black man raping three white women and killing one in the middle of O.J. Uh-huh. Simpson. Now tell me if he's really going to get – did they hear anything else? They didn't hear anything else because they had no evidence in the murder trial. And the murder trial right. is the only thing that got him the death now, was this actually tried in Pulaski County, uh, or was it tried someplace else outside of the county? It was tried in Pulaski County. And see, that's something else that kind of makes it a little iffy for me is the fact that it was tried in Pulaski County. Did uh, Mr. Lee's counsel ever try to get it moved away from uh, Pulaski? No. Not that I, not that I know of. Um... Not that I, not that I know of. And if you, if you really, if you look at all the people that are on death row right now, we went through this. The, the state of Arkansas went through this little period in the 90s, 90, 91, 92, 93, where they were death penalty happy. And you, you have to look at your prosecutor, you know, uh, Stodola, who's running for an office again this year. We have to remember who are these people? They're still around. All of the people who, who who were involved in Liddell Lee's case are still around, still running for office, still very much involved. So uh, that that was a time when they were really going after um, prosecuting and calling the death penalty in the state of Arkansas, especially Pulaski County. And so right. I, I was yeah I was stationed in Fort Bragg during that time. Uh, in North Carolina, so I wasn't familiar with the case until uh, I came back home back in 2003, and I had looked at some of the different cases and things that have been going on, and of course everything that you know came up during last year's execution. I really you know dug into that, talked to his sister about it, and uh, she gave me the insights, especially with your story and the things that you brought about it. It made me question everything about this trial, especially how they mishandled everything in the trial. It was just disgusting. Right. So when you when you have and you, you talk about the, the mishandling, first of all, if if you believe and as Liddell knew for himself that he did not do this, so first of all, if you're trying to get me to plea to take a plea bargain, I'm already mad. So that was the first thing the first thing that happened with his court appointed attorneys. He did have uh, a paid attorney in the beginning, but after they put the other three uh, rape charges on him, the expense became too much for them. So they had to go with a um, with an appointed attorney. And so his attorneys were appointed. And um, at that time, the first jury, because the first trial that he had was a hung jury, and it was hung on one person who was an African-American female who said that it was totally wrong. Everything that was going on in the jury room, she felt it was racial. 
and she did not see the evidence there. And I interviewed her, and, and it was uh, and very interesting, all the things that she said about what was going on in the jury room. But she caused that trial to be a um, to, to, to deadlock, and they did not get a conviction. And so they decided to try it again. But the interesting thing happened with her. Judge, uh, Judge Piazza then charged and convicted her, and she spent time in jail uh, because they said that she knew somebody, she knew one of the attorney's private investigators when she was questioned as a juror. She said she didn't know anybody, and they said that she knew one of the attorney's private investigators. And they literally, after she hung that jury, they tried and convicted her. And then they made her come back to court every time Adele Lee was at court. That was the craziest thing that was happening there. I, I just never so, – so here you go. Because of what she did, hung that jury, they, they literally sent her to jail. And then they tried the case again. And this time when they tried the case, um, the, Liddell had a conversation with his attorney, which was, you know, uh, William Simpson. He had a conversation with him, and his attorney told him that he should have been, he should have gotten a death penalty in that case and that that woman should not have uh, hung the jury. Well, Liddell, at that time he was saying, you're my attorney. You believe that I should have gotten the death penalty. I don't think that you could represent me. There's a conflict of interest here. I want a new attorney. And so he had three cases. He had one under Judge Humphrey, one under Judge Plaguey, and one under Judge uh, Judge um, Piazza. And he 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 sent a message to all of them asking for a new attorney because of a conflict of interest because his attorney – said, not only did he say you should have been convicted, but he said next time you will be convicted. And he did not deny that he said those things. And so both attorneys, Plaguey and, um, and Piazza, denied him uh, new attorneys, but Judge Humphrey gave him a new attorney. So he fought and he fought saying that he could not get a fair trial with attorneys who believed that he was guilty. And he fought it so hard that he stopped discussing and talking with his attorneys. Finally, his attorney said, okay, judge, he cannot get a fair trial with us. We want off the case. We just want you to, uh, to, to put somebody else on the case. Piazza would not. It did, it did not make sense. He literally, the, the, the attorneys asked for to, be, to, to come off of the case. Piazza said no. Not only did the attorneys ask to come off the case, the attorneys wanted to come off the case so bad that the attorney general's office, on behalf of the attorneys, took it to the Arkansas Supreme Court to ask the court to ask Piazza to take them off the case because they could not represent him and they could not give him a fair trial under, you know, his, his right to a fair trial. He still could not get the judge to give him new attorneys, and hence he was tried with those two attorneys who never brought up alibi witnesses in the trial, had brought up nothing in the trial, brought up no witnesses to say where he was, although the state brought no evidence against him. They didn't, they didn't talk about the murder scene. They didn't talk about all this stuff. They didn't talk about the shoes. They didn't talk about the blood because there was no evidence 
But yet his attorneys didn't even bring forth alibi witnesses, and he got convicted. Yeah, that's a, that's something that a lot of people here in Arkansas, I mean, outside of Arkansas, don't know is that the, the the state justice system is going to do everything that it can to protect protect every conviction that they put on the books. That's why the West Memphis Three had some difficulty in their case, and I do believe that's why they denied Liddell the opportunity to have that DNA tested as well. Yes, yes, and 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 it was it was really that that time when they were. Go ahead. Deborah, can I say something? Yes. Yes. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm the brother. This is Howard. Not to cut anybody off. But um, as Deborah say, you know that um, the um, the prosecutor was given a blood sample. The prosecutor used up all the sample of the blood, so the defense was not able to test the blood, but the judge allowed that blood sample to come into, you know, the prosecutor uh, come as far as the And that was not fair because the defense argued that, okay, we didn't have a chance to test the blood, so why should it be admitted when we didn't test because they said it used up all the blood? Okay? That was wrong. And then there was another instance where the uh, the nurse that drew the blood was told not to put her initial on the vials of blood, you know, that's a change of custody, you know, issue. What she normally do it, you know what I'm saying? And and the way the way that woman, mis, you know, I have all sympathy for Miss Reese and her family, but the way that woman was beating and bludgeoning, you know, that's a crime of passion. That's not something someone's gonna break in nobody's house today. That's not gonna happen. You don't beat nobody to death with a tie rod, iron, whatever you want to call it, and then you have no print of my brother blood. My brother blood. You have print on it. Which her husband said, well, his friend should be there because he gave her the fuck. But when you beat somebody that severely, that's that's a crime of passion. That's not something someone's going to do that's going to break into somebody's house and do that, supposedly. Yeah, I can definitely see that, sir. Uh, especially in this case, you know, I mean, there was definitely, you know, just reading what happened, you could definitely say, you know, at least the person who did this was very angry with uh, with the uh, with Miss Allen. I, I mean, that's the thing about it. I, I mean, just reading it, the trial and listening to you as well, Miss Deborah, and I appreciate you coming on and uh, providing this insight to me, especially. It's one of those things, you know. It, it seems like they got on Mr. Lee and they just. You know, once they locked on to him, it was one of those things where they just wouldn't, they wouldn't listen to anything that could potentially be an alternate possibility. You know, and st- statistically speaking, too, most people that are murdered are murdered by someone that, that they know. And, and women especially are murdered usually by someone that they are in a relationship with. Uh, you know, again, that's just crime statistics. So, you know, that that, that rules out. You know, Liddell, for that reason right there, he didn't know this woman. This woman didn't know him. Why would someone break into a home and just bludgeon someone to death? It doesn't make sense. And and I know that we, we definitely don't want to make accusations where none are founded, but we definitely have accusations against Liddell Lee. But if you look at Jussie, the behavior, if you look at the timing, 
of the husband leaving the house that day, it was at about the same time that she was murdered. When he was notified that she was murdered, he was driving to Texas, and he kept going and drove on to Texas to the airport and waited on his company to fly him back. Who does that? You get yeah, that's it. If your wife is murdered, you turn around and you drive back as fast as you can. Yeah, I didn't yeah, even know that about the, the case. As far as that goes, that's, that, that's definitely a head scratcher. Now, I mean, you brought up the husband. Was he ever, you know, looked at as a realistic possibility? No. No, no I, I, not in any records did I find that he was. Right. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. They never gave they never gave that um, even a notion to even suspect him. And I'm gonna tell you something. I just turned fifty years old the other day. Yes, sir. And um, and this, this, I was in trial. My brother going to trial. And who am I? Who am I speaking to now? Uh, uh, Sean and uh, yeah, Sean and Michael. Sean, how old are you? Uh, I'm 45. Michael's what? 32. Okay. Oh, I'm 28, Sean. 20. Michael, how old are you, Michael? 28. I'm 28. 28? Okay. This guy said, I was in trial. My brother going through trial. This guy was, at the time, he had to be about 30, 36 years old. Okay, they found us. My brother wears a size 11 shoe, uh, 10 11 shoe. But her husband said he never owned a pair of tennis shoes in his life. How many men can say they never owned a pair of tennis shoes from, from childhood, adolescence to adult? Okay, that's another thing. You know what I'm saying? And, and my whole question was, I said, okay, I look at this man, and nothing about him just, you know, it was, it was just so weird to me. And, and, and there's another thing that I have a question about. You know, why, why, why would they... Why would they Writing the DNA testing and not giving no mustang. If it's somebody life involved in a situation, why would you not give them a DNA test to prove beyond a reasonable doubt they have nothing to do with anything? And I completely agree with that for sure. You know, that was one of the things I remember watching uh, the coverage from KATV on that. And I remember thinking, you know, if, you know, DNA testing was so new from what I understand back in 93. If there's something that could potentially exonerate somebody, then why not give it a shot, you know, especially if in all reality, you know, you are exactly what you say you are as far as you are out for the truth and you are out to find the person that actually committed this heinous crime. What they were really out to do. Yeah, what they were out to do was just to make sure that they did not look bad because for 24 years they said a certain man did it. They can't come back with anything different at this point. Many people were involved in this case. We're not talking about just some backside attorneys. We're talking about Judge Piazza, who still sits. We're talking about, you know, Judge Plaguey. We're talking about Judge Humphrey, who's who's, who's, um, uh, retired now. But you're also talking about there were major people involved in this case. Now, and so you well, needed to make sure they got it right, and you still have, um, and you, you still have the um, uh, what's her name? Um, 
Oh gosh, I, I just forgot her name. But anyway, she was inv- she's been involved in all of the death penalty cases. Yeah, and then, and and Leslie Rutledge is such another question. I mean, why is she so out for blood all of a sudden? Because we have not had a death penalty case come up in so long. She comes into office, and all of a sudden, she wants to start setting the date. It's like well, well, Lisa Rutledge is a uh, she 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 goes on to Fox News. She she's been around the president. She is a right wing conservative. And she's trying to make a name for herself to, to, to put herself up higher there in this this current administration, in my personal opinion. I can't stand the woman personally. And well, we need to make sure say, we find somebody to 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 run against her when the time has come. <laughs> well, one thing I will say, you know, as far as maybe uh, an answer to why it happened all of a sudden, uh, I, I guess – from the explanation that the state gave is because their uh, drugs were expiring that they could actually use to carry out these sentences. Their drugs were expiring or very close to the expiration date. Now, I mean, just the drugs were expired already. Now, I've never heard that. Yeah, the, 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 the bottom, I think the bottom line for, um, hello, is everybody here? Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Yes, ma'am. I'm still here. Okay, sorry. I, I think the bottom line for, um, for the, for the executions is, um, I, it, it always reminded me that the governor could literally make a decision. It was his call all the way. I don't care if Leslie Rutledge sent to his office. 20 uh, cases to say, can you set the date? The governor could have chosen not to set the date at any time. He could choose not to do it. It it won't be illegal or anything. So to say I have to do it, you do it because Uh you choose to do it. So that's the bottom line. Whether whether drugs are expiring or whatever, it is because we have two Republicans in these major positions and I'm not just saying Republicans, I'm just saying who believe in the death penalty, who are making the decisions, and that's in those, in, in those two top positions. You've got the governor and the attorney general's office, and that's what, that's right. what they did. There's no excuse yes. except for the people made the decision. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I can certainly understand that. I do want to uh, talk a little bit about the uh, – about what happened post-trial with uh, Mr. Lee and uh, what went on in his life there. You know, we were talking, uh, once again, getting back to what I see here on this Wikipedia page, you know, he was on death row since 1995. And when he was interviewed for a BBC documentary, he actually asked, he, or when asked about his life on death row, he said, you know, he felt like he was living in the twilight zone. Uh can you give me a little bit more insight on that? Like, is it because he was in solitary and he just, you know, wasn't exactly, you know, living uh, a normal life? Wait, hold on, Deb. Go ahead. I talked to my, hold on. I talked to my brother. Um, yes, sir. A few times or so, he was um, murdered. And my brother told me. <clears throat> I, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm the last person my brother spoke with. He spoke with all my siblings, called me last. He told me, he said, brother, 
I didn't do this. He said, please, do not let my my name die in vain. Because they got the wrong person. I didn't do it. Let me tell you something. I believe my brother. And my brother, let me tell you something. I'm tired I'm, I'm a tired military. If my yes, brother sir. did something, any one of my siblings do something, and I feel they did it, then you got to pay the piper. That's how I am. But I felt the sincerity of my brother's heart when he told me what he told me. He said, man, I did a lot of things. He said, this here, I didn't do. He said, do not let my name die in vain. He said, take care of my mother, take care of our mother, and look at my pops. And that spoke volumes to me. Yes, sir, definitely. I mean, I couldn't couldn't even imagine, sir. And I certainly, I I definitely want to take the time to thank you for your service, for sure. And, you know, that's one thing that, you know, I couldn't even imagine being in that situation by any stretch of the imagination. And once again, you know, like me and Sean were talking earlier, I do want to apologize to you for your loss, for sure. You know, uh, especially, you know, with everything as doubtful as what it is. And see, what, what people don't understand is that Arkansas operated on a good old boy system. I, you know, my brother was going to Piazza Court. Piazza writing a letter to the Supreme, Arkansas Supreme Court telling them to vote his way, don't do this, don't do that. You know, he had no business. And then he was dating the lady that was prosecuting my brother, and he gave her a lot of her first job. So that should have been a conflict of interest right there. You know what I mean? But see, they, they they put things under the rug. They put things under the rug because they want us to be oblivious to what's going on. And we have to stop this corruption. We have to. And like my brother say, he told me, man, my case is going to be Pandora box. It's going to expose everything. And did you know, after my brother was murdered, I'm going to say murdered, you know the gates of the governor mansion opened up by themselves. It never did that. Wow, that's, you guys know that's that. pretty powerful. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Sean, yeah, do, you, yeah, do you have anything yeah, as far as what goes there? Yes, I did know that. Yeah, when, when my brother got executed, why did he was executed, the gates of the governor mansion opened up by themselves, and they can't even explain why it happened. Wow, that's definitely powerful. Sean, do you have anything to... Uh, Ask us, it pertains to, you know, where we are here with the uh, post-trial and the uh, subsequent appeals by Mr. Lee. Uh, yes. Uh, Liddell's brother just brought up uh, a very interesting part of the case in itself, that the judge was having an affair with the prosecuting attorney while this was going on. And how is this allowed to actually happen? Because of who but they it's are. A, it's a good old boy system. Yeah. Exactly. It's corruption. Yeah. And not and this was, this wasn't something that was this went to trial and Judge Piazza's wife who, who he was he was having an affair with the uh with the senior prosecuting attorney, but Judge Piazza's wife testified that that they were having the affair during the trial. And, and that he had told her about the affair at, during when the trial was going on. So it, it's like 
I it, it I, I can't I don't I don't understand. But nothing nothing happened. Piazza just has a lot of power. He's been in office for a long time. He's been sitting as a judge, and he probably holds a lot of people's secrets around here. And so um, he literally um, was allowed to 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 continue to do that. And not only that, you 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 can imagine that he's a sitting judge. And the, the attorney general's office goes to the Arkansas Supreme Court to ask you to give Liddell Lee new attorneys, and you send a letter to the chief justice saying, no, you've got to rule against this. That's, that's interfering in a, in, a, in a case that's open. That shouldn't have been allowed to happen, but it happened. And it's in the record. It will be different if this was just, oh, we're just saying these things. This, this is, it's in the record. And, and of course, nothing was done to the judge uh, as no, a consequence of his actions. And he got no. a witness stand and lied and said he didn't date that lady and he didn't go to jail for uh, lying on the stand. Mm. Right. And, then, and, then, and so, so that you'll know that it was not correct for him to do that after he married her, because he did marry her. He married her, and then he recused himself from all criminal cases. He literally went and talked to the other judges and got them to handle all criminal so that he did not have to have handle a criminal case because his wife was a prosecuting attorney, and he did not want there to be a conflict of interest. But while you were on Liddell's case, you you were dating her. You were not only dating her, but you were having an affair with her. So if that is not a conflict of interest, that it's I don't I don't understand. But well, yeah, definitely, definitely by everything that you've said about the trial, he, he was definitely railroaded in this part right here. Uh, I mean, I talk about corruption in the justice system quite a bit on this show. A lot of people scoff at me, a lot of people that support, you know, the state and, and their side. But it does happen. These are human beings. These are flawed human beings, just like everyone else. And they make mistakes just like everyone else. Unfortunately, in our justice system, it shouldn't be allowed. And, you know, it's like when people say, you know, if, if there were good cops out there, they would take care of the bad cops. Well, just like the police, this justice system is a brotherhood, and they take care of themselves and everyone around them. That's correct. That's correct. And so, so, so the case, it, can, it continues. You would think that it couldn't get any worse, wouldn't you? You would just think that, oh, that's it. It can't get any worse. But it does. Because... After so much Lee saying, hey, you know, my, 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 my counsel is ineffective. I need new counsel. Piazza decides to appoint him an attorney, but he appoints him an attorney for the penalty phase of the trial. What does that say to you? Before the trial, you appoint me a, an attorney to help me in the penalty phase. That says that you have already convicted me. Because you could have given me an attorney to help me in the trial phase, not the penalty phase. He appoints an attorney for the penalty phase. And then that attorney happens to be drunk. He literally literally comes to court several times drunk and to the point to where the prosecuting attorney says, listen, we need to drug test him. Because he he's babbling, exactly. he's going off, he's not 
he's just out out of it. We've got to do something here. He can't be allowed to represent him like this. The prosecutor now, said that. The prosecutor said that in open court. Well, I mean, I mean, this was a case in their bag. They should have just shut up at that point, right? But it was so obvious that this guy was not there. Yeah. Now, Deborah, I do want to ask you. I I do want to address something that I am seeing in uh, the motion section of this page. It says that his first counsel, uh, particularly the failure of the counsel to bring evidence of his intellectual disability. I believe this may be the first time I have seen mention of this uh, fetal alcohol syndrome disorder or significant brain damage uh, for Mr. Lee. I believe that's the first time I've actually seen that mentioned as something that could have potentially been going on in Mr. Lee's life. Once again, you know, you mentioned earlier that a gentleman was allowed off or a state of execution because of intellectual disability or he wasn't fit to, you know, be executed. What was the difference in this case as far as Mr. Lee not being uh, afforded that? Uh, I think that there were a couple of things when, when during the time of the, uh, of the execution that day, it was a really, really, um, of course, intense day. What was happening is you had another guy, Stacy Williams, who was, who was also saying he was innocent. So Stacy and Liddell were set to be executed on the same night. Both of them were down there ready to be executed. Both of their attorneys went to the Arkansas Supreme Court, went all the way to the Supreme Court saying, hey, we've got problems. We need to stop this. When I read those appeals, and this is just me, I'm not an attorney, I'm just a journalist, so but when I read the appeal, Stacy got a stay to hear the DNA evidence. Liddell Lee did not. Stacy got his stay first. But when I read the appeal, Stacy's appeal was very, very straightforward. Here's the one issue we're coming with. Bam. Here it is, court. Now, remember, these people don't have but a couple of hours. They don't even have a couple of hours to read this stuff and to determine and to see. So it was very easy for them to look at Stacy's case and say, all right, we're going to give him another chance because there was only one issue on the table. What I think happened with Liddell's case is one of the things, when his attorneys came forward and said, hey, Supreme Court, we've got an issue here. You need to stop this execution. They had so many things in that complaint that the judges probably thought they're reaching. They're reaching for any and everything they can reach for because they were going for intellectual stuff. They were going for ineffective counsel. They were going for um, a ju- they even mentioned the judge. So all of the things that we've been talking about, you see how long it takes us to talk about them and then to really get yeah. in depth to bring them forth? That's a lot of information. And if you were just telling me all this information, I would say you're reaching. You're just trying to stop an execution. You're just trying to throw everything in the pot. Absolutely. We don't have time to really consider all this stuff you threw at us. So let's just say no. He's he's, he's let him go. That's my own own opinion on that. Absolutely. And and we're going to take a pause right there to do a station break, and we will continue with this as we come right back. Okay. 
Are you looking for the best deals for your vaping needs and accessories? Then check out the guys at Sub On Vapors. With daily specials on a wide selection of mods and juices, they will surely become your one-stop shop. Ray and the guys at Sub On Vapors located at 6929 JFK Boulevard, Suite C in North Little Rock, Arkansas, want to see you. Join them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, but more importantly, visit the store or call 501-392-6487. Sub On Vapors. Vape it like you built it. up to date with Talk Radio 49 has never been any easier. Go to Facebook, look up Talk Radio 49. If there's a particular show that you were interested in, check it out. American Idiots Podcast, Behind the Curtain, and many more. Also, hit us up on Twitter. That's Talk Radio underscore 49 on Twitter. Again, staying connected, it's all up to you. It's social media and Talk Radio 49 working to keep you connected. And I believe we are back here at the here at the Subome Vapor Studio in Central Arkansas. This is the American Idiots Podcast. We are talking about the Liddell Lee case and execution that happened last year. We are currently with Miss Deborah Robinson, and she was just telling us about some of the things that were happening in the trial. Let's continue right where we left off there, Deborah. Well, We had a break, and I'm not sure where that was. (laughs) But, um, but I think I think we were uh, just basically saying that we're talking about we were discussing the Supreme Court. Yeah. Yes, yes, the the Supreme Court. Yeah, I think that they were just there was so much information in Liddell Lee's case, and that is what I tried to do when when the family gave me all of this information. I went and sat with his mom and and pulled out you know all the stuff that she had, and I tried to pull together a piece that would make it easy for the layperson to understand, because the legal lease is just you know it's it's a lot, and there were a lot of issues concerning it because. You just can't believe that all of these things happened, that you went from, you know, no evidence, and then you go to a bad attorney, then you go to a drunk attorney, and then the next attorney that they, that they pull give him was ineffective and got sanctioned for not, for not even being a good attorney. All of that, and so all of that was in the appeal to the Supreme Court to stop the execution. And I, when I read it, I was like, oh, it's too much. It's reaching for too many things. And when I read Stacy's case, it was one thing. Judges, here's the issue. We need to test this DNA. Stop it right here. And they did. Just and an so, unfortunate series of events for Mr. Lee. 
Yes, yes, yes. But, you know, it's it's. I believe that when he made that appeal to his brother and, and he even made that appeal to me to not let his life be in vain, sometimes, um, you know, you never know what a person is born for, you know. So I, 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 I unfortunate that he had to lose his life, but if we – through his case, through his life, can show that the state of Arkansas executed an innocent man, well, then maybe we can help to save the lives of others, and his life will not be in vain. Now, was the Innocence Project involved in this at all? Yes, the Innocence Project is involved and still is involved. They're working directly with the family even now to, uh, to see about getting justice for the case. Okay, okay. Yeah, because I'm, I'm definitely interested in that. Again, as Michael mentioned earlier, I, I am totally against the death penalty. I think that the state does not have a right to kill anybody, um, and especially because we have put innocent people on death row. The Innocence Project has freed 30 people through DNA evidence, and you know, mm-hmm. it, it, it's a travesty of justice that they weren't even allowed to try to do that in this case at all. And mm-hmm. I, I, I hope, I hope that some sense of justice can be brought about this case, especially with everything that went wrong. I mean, it is completely insane. The story, you know, that actually happened during the trial. It's, it's almost unbelievable, but I mean, we have records of this. We know it happened. So it's just, it's asinine that they did this to a man. It's just completely wrong. It it really is. And you, you would, you, when you read it, you almost can't even believe that's that's what was that was what was so hard for me within those two weeks. I couldn't even get public officials to take a serious look at this and to let you know let some attention to it because they could not con- consume it. They could not uh, understand it in such a short amount of time to say, I'll put my career, I'll put my reputation on the line to back it and say, you know, and say, stop it. Because there was so much that happened. It's almost like it was, you, you just can't believe that this much happened. You, you would have, you would rather think, Oh, he's just trying to get off. than oh, this really happened. But, Deborah, I, I question the fact that, once again, you know, I, I keep going back to it. A man's life is on the line. You have to, you know, you have to make sure that you know what you're doing here. You know what I'm saying? And especially, you know, I, I understand, you know, that there, uh, that there is belief out there that there is corruption inside of the Arkansas uh, judicial system. I understand that. But we're also talking about the Supreme Court not decided, the, the federal Supreme Court, you know, the United States Supreme Court at one point, they did issue that temporary stay the day of, but why did they lift it at that point? And I think you kind of got into it, you know, nobody wanted to put their, you know, career on the line or what have you to say, stop it. But at the same time, would you sleep a little bit easier at night, you know, knowing that you took that little bit of extra time? Well, we have to remember, too, that Trump's appointee to the Supreme Court was the deciding vote. And, of course, he's a conservative, so he was going to side with the state. 
But can you imagine if you were inside? Because I was, I was, you know, inside press that night and and the other night. There was so much going on. Just everybody trying to, you know, trying to get the get get the opinions and get the stories. Things are moving so fast. Can you imagine what was really going on behind the scenes for the people who it mattered to? You got a you 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 have a a world who's looking at Arkansas, saying you are still so backwards, you are so out of it. We're going to pull our money out. They there were there were things being said about Arkansas during that time, which were just. You know, which were bad, but you have a governor who was going to stand his ground. Do you think the governor wanted to be uh, proven wrong or, you know, or none of the men executed that night? The governor was making some calls that night. So was... so was Leslie Rutledge. They were making calls, and they were trying to make it happen. The same type of calls that Piazza made to the to the Chief Justice that night, that day. They were making calls to make sure that their, you know, that that, that their case was able to move forward, and they were able to make these executions. Right. And so, and I kind of want to, I kind of want to go. Fly on the wall. I kind of want to go into that day, as far as you know, we've kind of gotten to the point where we're at that day that it happened. I mean, how much contact does L- is Liddell allowed to have with his attorneys? How much is he able to, you know, be kept, you know, up to date on what's going on with the, uh, what's going on with the appeals, what's going on with the potential stays, things like that. Well, um, he was he was with his attorney, I believe, uh, for most of the day. Once they took took them over to the uh, to the chamber, the attorney was there the whole time, I believe. And so I know that he was able to call out several times, and I know that he called his brother. What was the? I'm not sure what the last time was about. Maybe about an hour and a half to two hours before the execution, um, he called, and I know that the last time. I was in contact with him. I think it was the day before, and uh, we thought everything was we – we really did not think this was going to happen. You know, he was up, and he was like, well, you know, we're going to – I'm in good spirits. You know, he said he was feeling up, and then it just happened. It just happened so fast, and we were not prepared. We did not think that it was really going to happen. Uh, we thought that the that we were going to get a stay on it. So um, right. I'm not sure. I think that uh, his brother can talk to uh, how long. Uh, I think it was at least an hour and a half or so before the execution, maybe two hours that he was able to call out for the last time to talk to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, that's something that, you know, I, I remember actually now saying that he was the first one that was, you know, executed in the string that happened, I kind of remember a little bit more of what exactly went down. And even just reading this, you know, I remember actually watching it and, you know, they were on, uh, on the Facebook stream that I mentioned earlier, they were actually counting down the time saying, Hey, you know, they only have this much time. And I believe it said that 1156, I want to say is when the, Day was lifted. I could be wrong. I want to say it was 11:56. Excuse me, 11:44 was when uh, it actually happened. 
I'm not sure when, it doesn't say what time the state was lifted, but I know it was a process where even the reporters said that they had to basically scramble to get this taken care of by the time that that, uh, by the time that that warrant expired. Uh, once right. again, is this not a situation where you just sit back and go, hey, you know, obviously we want to take our time with this because, number one, we don't want egg on our face, and we just say, hey, we'll let this one expire and we'll issue another one. Like, once again, right. Arkansas seemed like they rushed this one through. Right, yeah, yeah. And you, and you wonder, you, uh, you know, because I was – I, I've communicated with all eight, well, nine of the um, of the um, death row inmates, and you you look at those who got stays. All of those who got stays, well, the three of them, um, of course, uh, Stacy got a stay, but he claims innocence. But the other three, they 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 were guilty. They they said they were guilty, but they still got a stay. But then you've got somebody who's claiming innocence. But you will not even allow to get a DNA testing. And that's completely mind-blowing to me. You know, once again, it goes back to you have got to make absolutely sure that you know what you're doing in this situation, especially, you know, I know that it would be a situation. I mean, I guess I can go ahead and share a little bit of personal information from myself. My uh, uncle was uh, murdered, I want to say, it was a year ago last August. And my grandma has maintained since that day that if they ever find the gentleman that she is going to proceed or she's going to pursue, I guess, the death penalty in the case. And I remember having a conversation with my mom, and she said, Michael, do you think that, you know, everything would be cool with you with that? And the one thing I said is... I mean, I would always question it, and I wouldn't exactly support it unless I knew 100% in my mind that this was the person. You know what I'm saying? So maybe that's just me being different from the way the law is written or what have you. But once again, I've always been of the mindset, and I know you probably can never get 100% without a shadow of a doubt. We've talked about this before, Sean, on this show it's really hard to get 100% without a shadow of a doubt. But that's yes. something that it seems like you need for something so permanent. And that's something that, you know, like I told my mom that day, I said, you know, without me knowing for sure, I don't know how I would feel about it, you know? Well, I believe the legal yeah. terminology that they say is beyond a reasonable doubt uh, because a shadow of a doubt is, you know, impossible to actually prove. So, you know, again, with this case, circumstantial evidence, the, the, the juggling and the corruption that was happening during the trial, everything as far as the appeals process is concerned, all the way up until the day of the execution when they denied, you know, the Innocence Project, you know, being involved, trying to make sure that the DNA evidence was uh, tested to exonerate Mr. Lee. It, it's just, it's a travesty of justice, and they probably put an innocent man to death. And what 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 can we do about that? That was just the question I was about to ask Sean because I know that your 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 listeners are 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 thinking whether they are for or against the death penalty. It doesn't matter. What matters is an innocent man may have been put to death. So that's what matters. And the question is, what are we going to do about that? What are we going to do about that? 
Do we just say, okay, exactly. let's, let's just move on? Or do we say we've got to do something about that? We have to make sure that it doesn't happen again. One is already too many. Yes, I would agree with that. Uh, unfortunately, in today's time, uh, the way people discuss these, they don't, these issues, they don't bring about solutions. You know, at, at one point in our country, we had abolished the death penalty, and it was brought back later on. And again, we know for a fact that we've killed innocent people in this country. We know that. We know that we have exonerated people that were innocent, that were on death row. Those two facts alone should abolish the death penalty altogether. And I think that's what people need to move towards is to abolish it altogether. Well, I know that we do have an organization to abolish the death penalty. And, of course, I, I, I always look at it this way. With any cause, it's like civil rights. You, 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 everybody is needed. You need a Malcolm and you need a Mark. You know, you, you need all of them to get the job done. So I am, you know, I am definitely um, – interested in wanting to move forward in some sort of fashion to abolish the death penalty in Arkansas. And we're moving to do that in a way to where we are trying to prove and trying to get definite legal standing that the state of Arkansas executed an innocent man and using that move forward to try to pierce the hearts of people. Because we make the laws. We have to get to the hearts of people to say, okay, we've got to stop this. It can't happen again. And that's, that's the only way that we're going to make a difference and cause change. Um, you were mentioning a second ago about, you know, if um, your, your relatives and you being against the death penalty, uh, I would, I, I am against the death penalty no matter what. And I would hope that, you know, you never know, though, until something happens to you, how you really feel. You know, you have to be tested with everything. But I definitely um, hope that our hearts can be to a point to say, because when, when you are, when you desire harm to another person, that's an issue with your own heart. That has nothing to do with them. And even when, even if they did something, you become the person, you become the person that you hate when you execute or you wreak harm on somebody who's done something to you. So for me, I'm hoping, and in my heart before I have it happen to me, I, I want to say that I want to have the heart to say it doesn't matter whether he's innocent or guilty. We cannot become him. We, I, I refuse to become that person that kills. And I don't want the state to kill on my behalf. Yeah, I, I I don't I don't I don't think that the state deserves the power to execute people. We we already have the police executing people on the streets uh, without trial, and you know that that's as bad enough as it is. But even after trials, you know it, it, it's all about vengeance. It has nothing to do with justice. Justice. Justice is having someone do their time for a punishment. You know, execution. That's just vengeance, and it's wrong. Yeah, and um, I know, but you know, you you you've got a, probably a lot of listeners who are saying no, you know, they they deserve it for what they did, and I I under I understand where they are. Everybody, you know, can't um, they they have personal experiences that have brought them to you know to certain decisions. 
and and I understand that. But I even you look at uh, Kenneth Williams, who was also executed during this time. Um, Kenneth and I communicated for almost two years, and during those two years, I talked. We talked about everything. I asked him to give me details of every murder. He did four of them. He gave me the details of what he did, why he did it, how what he was feeling, how it happened. And the, 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 amazing, the amazing thing with him is, of course, he, he was, you know, he had uh, repented and had become a Christian minister while in, in prison, but he was still executed. And um, even, even for Kenneth, even knowing that he murdered four people, even knowing how he did it, knowing his part when he did it, I still could not say I wanted that for him. Now, Miss Deborah, that's powerful. Miss Deborah, I do have one more question. Uh, I do want to ask you, as far as you know, we mentioned moving forward, what can happen and what have you. I believe, and I'm not 100% sure, I believe that everything's been stayed again, but I believe the state of Arkansas has a new supply of the drugs. You know, I think that they have to turn over the labels before they can continue uh, executing death row inmates. But going forward, Deborah, are you going to uh, be, you know, involved in these cases moving forward of these gentlemen that are, you know, in the next batch? Because I believe that they're talking about another, you know, conveyor belt style situation where we could be executing quite a few inmates in, you know, a small amount of time. Uh, yes, I still am in communication with the uh, the others who have not um, uh, been uh, executed. And, of course, Stacey Johnson is the only one who claims innocence. And I went to court uh, with him about a month and a half ago, and um, the court is deciding, the judge there is deciding whether to allow him to do the DNA testing. So we're waiting uh, on that to come back uh, to determine whether he's going to uh, be able to do that. And so um, I am definitely going to stay involved and to continue to try to tell their stories and to show their humanity, uh, regardless of, of the crime. Now, now, our mainstream affiliates, uh, 11, 7, 4, and 16, are they interested at all in this story? Um, no, they have not. Here, here's the thing with, with, you know, with the mainstream media, they don't have the time to put into the in-depth research for a story like this. You might get somebody from, you know, you might get the the Gazette, Democrat Gazette, um, who might say, okay, I might be able to, to take this story. But most of the reporters at the stations are not doing in-depth stories like this where so much is involved and so much time is involved in trying to tell the story. And then you also have to consider that Arkansas is still a state that believes in the death penalty. If we weren't, we would not have allowed the governor to do what he did. He knew that he had the support of the majority of our Kansans when he did that. So they're not trying to present a story that we messed up. This is a story that would implicate so many people. Um, and that is going to be, uh, unless, uh, I mean, we, if we get a ground swelling of, of, of organic support that can bring forth, you know, evidence in a way to where it's, they, they can grasp it and move forward with it and, 
to a point to where it's almost like indictment ready kind of stuff, well then they're not going to 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 pick it up because it's too um it's got too many people involved. Like I said, you've got Stodola who is uh running again for mayor. Um, and he was a prosecutor. He was a prosecutor in the 19, 1990s, 91, 92, 93. He was the prosecutor that put so many people on death row. So now, uh, uh, go ahead, Deborah. I'm sorry. So, so there are so many people that that will be implicated in in a story of innocence, in this story of innocence, not just any story, but this one. That uh, it would ruin careers, just turn things over. And like I said, you can't be a judge in this city for as long as Piazza, as Plaguey, as all of them have been, and not know some secrets, not have some people that, you know, that owe you, that you, you know, that, so it's, it's a, it's a hard place to be. Well, I I would definitely agree with that. I mean, most of our listeners probably don't know about the uh, recent case. Uh, that we had up north where a uh, a judge had his kid die in his car. And, of course, he was exonerated of that, and he's able to get back on the bench. You know, the, this this state system is, is just it, – it, it works sometimes, but it does not work all the time. And mm-hmm. the corruption is just too much. And, you know, again – you know, talk, talking about, you know, uh, the West Memphis Three, this case, you know, their, I wouldn't say inability, but their refusal to try to be honest in these cases and try to do the best that they can to actually look at the evidence to exonerate people that may be innocent. It, it, it's just so sad. It's so sad. And people are dying because of this. So, uh, you know, one thing I was going to ask you, are are you in contact with or do you work with the Arkansas Coalition to Abolish the Death Penalty? I am in contact with, uh, yes, with them. I do uh, work with them on this past time. I've communicated with them. And so, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're in contact. Good. Yes. Good. Okay. Well, definitely uh, our listeners that are local, uh, if you are interested in abolishing the death penalty, we have a coalition here, the Arkansas Coalition to Abolish the Death Penalty, and uh, they're doing some good work trying to see that that happens, but they need your support. So uh, they have a mm-hmm. Facebook page. It's really easy. Go out there and look at that Facebook page and see what you can do to support them. Um, man, th- this has been a hell of a show with a lot of information. Some of it I had read before and some of it I didn't know about. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's mind blowing that, uh, Mr. Liddell, you know, that he suffered so much through this whole process and, and not forgetting the victim and, 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 you know, her family, uh, obviously, you know, it's a tragedy, you know, travesty what happened to her, but, you know, this railroading and everything in the case, it's just, it's horrible what happened to him. And, you know, he's gone and we can't get him back. And that's terrible. And I feel terrible for the family because of that. And I, and I want to apologize, you know, to the family that that happened here in this state, you know, and it, it, it makes you beg the question too, you know, not trying to play the race card, but can a black man get a fair trial in a state where the Ku Klux Klan has its national headquarters? <laughs> right, right. You you know, uh, let me, if if I have a moment, uh, I would just like to say on behalf of 
Liddell, one of the things that was said about him, Holly Lodge was saying how evil he was and how how he had no remorse. And even to the day of his death, he, he never flinched. He didn't look sorry. He didn't look like I'm sorry for anything. And, 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 you know, still calling him a monster. And I thought to myself, if you've been sitting in a cell for over 24 years, you know that you didn't do something. You've been crying out to people to help you. Nobody will help you. Nobody will listen. And they're about to put you to death. You're walking down the hallway, going to the, the, the chamber to be put to death. Hell, I'm not sorry. I'm mad. <laughs> You know, no. that's what I, I, you want me to be sorry. I'm not sorry. I'm pissed off. No, I, w- I would so, definitely yeah, agree with that. Face with a, a mad look, not an I'm sorry look. No, I, I, I didn't think that he was evil. Uh, I, I personally don't believe in concepts of good and evil and things like that. Um, but, you know, he himself, you know, all the interviews and everything that I saw speaking with his family as I have um, – he made some mistakes in his life. You know, I'm not going to say he wasn't a flawed human being, but he didn't deserve to be put to death and executed by the state for what he was accused for either. Uh, especially if he was innocent. Uh, no one does. No one deserves that. That's just terrible. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I really appreciate you guys and what you all are doing this two hour show it's it's um I love longer format of things because you can't tell a story in a minute and a half and that is the that's the 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 problem with you know most commercial stations trying to do a story on an in-depth issue like this you can't do it in a minute and a half you know so having this longer format 2 hours and you all taking the time to do your research and to to know what this case is about uh we just thank you for 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 your time and thank you for 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 considering it and and looking out on behalf of Liddell and his family. Absolutely. And if there's anything that we can do if you want to come back on the show, we can do a, a follow-up, you know, broadcast about anything going on in the future. Um just just let us know and we'll definitely be there cuz uh we we love doing this type of thing. Thank you so very much. It was uh, my pleasure and honor to be here. Absolutely. Michael? Yes, sir. I'm right here. Did you have any Uh, final words you wanted to say to Miss Deborah? Once again, I just kind of want to echo what Sean said as far as we we thank you guys so much for coming on and, you know, discussing this matter with us, especially, you know, one as, as, I guess, strenuous and what have you for you guys as close as you guys were to Mr. Lee and once again you know anything you guys ever have in the future uh, definitely always welcome back um, I would just like to say if if anybody is interested in reading the details of the case they can to innocent.media uh, innocent.media, and they can read the details of the case right. to get more in-depth on exactly what happened. Okay. No, is yes, that innocentmedia.com or .org? Uh, uh, no, innocent.media. Oh, just innocent.media. Okay. Yes. All right. Well, I'm definitely going to be checking that out myself. Uh, I also want to thank Liddell's family for being on the show with us tonight. Our condolences go out to you, and, you know, we hope that justice is, is brought to you as well. 
Yeah, definitely, for sure, Sean, especially, you know, that that's one thing I asked you earlier is if there's anything that can happen from this moment on, you know, now that the state of Arkansas feels like, quote, unquote, once again, I'm going to use air quotes, even though y'all can't see me, you know, justice has been served. Is there anything that can be done to at least, you know, clear Liddell's name further? Well, well, we can I don't continue know. to talk about it, you know, continue to talk about it and keep it out there in the, in the, in the public's eye and hopefully it will catch on and we can, uh, we can get the results that we need. And as we said, that we're still working on it from a legal perspective as well to the family is working on it from a legal perspective to, um, to try to get, uh, to get everything cleared up. Yeah, and, and everybody that's listening tonight definitely need to keep uh, Liddell and his family, you know, in your thoughts and, you know, talk about this. Let people know what's going on. Spread the word. Uh, we don't want to forget him. We don't want, you know, his name just to be a, another statistic. This is something we should talk about, especially here in Arkansas on a daily basis. So everybody you get a chance to talk to about this, definitely do. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you very well, much, Ms. Deborah. Guys. Yes, absolutely, Miss Deborah. Again, thank you for being on the show. Thank you. You all have a great evening. Have a great evening. You as well. Well, Sean, that well, was Mike. definitely very intense uh, for sure. Yeah. We definitely enjoyed having her on for sure. Yeah, that was that that was quite a show. Um, again, I had known some of the facts of the case. I didn't know everything. Um, I. The more I, I hear about it, I'm just I'm blown away, and sometimes I just don't know what to think. I mean, it's like reading a bad crime novel. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, and, you know, there were some things that I didn't know about uh, Mr. Lee that I found out tonight. You know, I didn't know about the, about the potential for some mental disabilities in Mr. Lee's case. I didn't know a lot of stuff about this case, you know, with me being so young when it happened and what have you. I, I mean, there's a lot of things that, you know, that I kind of now looking back on it, wish that maybe the Supreme Court had taken their time to uh, look this over. And, you know, that's the thing about it is that I come away with is if there's a potential that Liddell could have been innocent, which I believe that there was a potential that he could have yeah. been innocent. I believe that you have to take that time. And it seems like, especially, you know, I mentioned the, uh, I mentioned the news reporters talking about how rushed everything was because the warrant expired at midnight. That's the thing about it, you know, yeah, I understand it's gonna be more work if it comes out that, you know, this DNA evidence didn't exonerate Mr. Lee. It's gonna be more work to get him back on get another death warrant issued and so on and so forth. But, you yeah. know, his life hangs in the balance, you know, is that extra work not worth it? You know, are you that lazy, so to speak, that you aren't going to go through that extra work just to quote unquote, carry out the justice that you believe was justified in the first place? Well, I don't think that it's laziness. I think they're just, they're convinced in their minds that they've done the right thing. They have their man. Justice is going to be served. And they don't care about giving him his appeal. They don't care about giving him the DNA. They believe he's guilty. And that's what's wrong. 
you're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. Well, I don't think the man was ever proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. And then uh, during I his mean, appeals process and everything else that happened, he was railroaded the whole time. And especially at the end, you know, when you can, you can at least right. go so far as to test that DNA. Go ahead and test it and see if it's him or not. And if it's not, then, then what? You got egg on your face? You might lose your job? Oh, oh well, at least an innocent man doesn't die. Right, exactly. And that's the thing, you know, if, if the system had a worked like it should have, I guess you should say, then the, uh, then the DNA would have been tested. Should it have been found that, you know, it didn't exonerate Mr. Lee, then you go through your process. And at that point, you know, Mr. Lee had exhausted all of his appeals, and you go ahead and execute the Senate. But if it had, you know, hey, guess what, Arkansas? Pat on the back for, you know, not executing an innocent man. I know. I mean, wouldn't that be a great story that we didn't execute an innocent man? What an awesome story that would be. But again, well, that would make the Arkansas uh, justice system look bad. Well, so fucking what? To be fair, to be fair to the family of the victim, I do want to say you know because I do believe that they do maintain that uh, Mr. Lee was guilty. I do want to say you know his potential innocence and things of that nature as well. You know, I don't want to step on anybody's toes as far as that goes because you know, unfortunately, right now this ends with a situation where. Nobody knows. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I mean, yes, it, I it's just like people have their thoughts, but you know, at the end yeah. of the day, we're kind of in a gray area as far as did Mr. Lee really do this? Well, and you that, know, and that's like the know. last three shows that we've done. Are. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's exactly like the last three shows that we've done on these different subjects. Uh, you know, uh, last week, uh, what was the guy's name we talked about last week? I can't remember. Of course, I can't remember either. Uh, good Lord, Sean, you're testing my you're you're testing my memory. And I swear, I even said it earlier. I have the memory of a goldfish. Yeah. Well, but, I mean, again, uh, we we've, we've done three of these stories Rodney recently. Rodney Reed Rodney and Reed the West Memphis Three and, and Lee Liddell. That's three prime examples of cases that. When when you're through at the end of the day, you just don't know because the states don't do a good enough job convincing everyone of these people's guilt. There is reasonable doubt, and in my opinion, that's enough to uh, you know let them go. You know, and that was another thing when she mentioned the juror that was prosecuted and actually put in jail because she hung the jury. I'd never heard that before. What kind of shit is that? Neither had I. I mean, that's completely asinine in my opinion as far as that goes. But, I, I mean, I just can't get over the simple fact that, you know, in my lifetime, I've always thought you never question the Supreme Court. You never question anything to do with the, you know, the United States Supreme Court because, you know, they're the top dog. They're going to take their time to do or, you know, you believe that they're going to take the time to do their homework. They're going to know what's going on, but once again, it just seemed like in this case, they just kind of went, well, you know, I, I guess we'll go ahead and move forward. You know what I'm saying? It, it's one of them situations yeah. where that, I don't even think that they knew 100% to 
So they just went ahead and said, you know, he was convicted, so we'll go ahead and let him move on. Well, I think Deborah made a great point about how much was involved in his case, and they looked at it were just like, we don't want to deal with it, which is sad, you know. But then it, it again, very much so is. Yeah, and, and again, that deciding judge was Trump's brand new appointee. So, you know, he had to make a name for himself. You know, we got to go ahead and kill this one. So, yeah, you know, it was one of yeah. those things. Hey, I got to throw some red meat at my supporters. But you know. the thing is, you know, and actually now looking back on that, I'm sorry, that was a poor choice of words, and I do apologize. But, you know, uh, that's the thing that it comes down to is if I'm, and I can just look at it from my perspective. If I'm, a Supreme Court justice, in this case, comes across my desk after hearing everything tonight, looking at the Wikipedia page, and doing the research that I did do. Hey, if I'm a Supreme Court justice, I'm sitting there telling everybody else on that panel, we got to have more time. This gentleman can't be put to death. And, you know, if it comes out that after the DNA testing happens that Mr. Lee wasn't exonerated by this DNA, then, hey, I'll abstain and go ahead and proceed with the execution. But at least at that point, I could, like I alluded to earlier, I could sleep better at night knowing that, you know, the right thing had been done, so to speak. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, we don't know what happened behind closed doors, what phone calls were made by the governor, all those types of things. Uh, we can assume that that and, happened. And that's it, something else. That's something else that I think completely, you know, for lack of a better term, pisses me off. The governor yeah. of this state should not have had anything to do with it. Rutledge should not have been able to call in a favor and said, hey, you remember what I did for you? Yeah, it's time for you to go ahead and just move this on through. You know, no. This is somebody, you are a supreme, you are the top dog as far as judicial system. You should not allow anybody to do that. And the fact that they were, that that's right alone lets you know that it was compromised. If those calls were made and what have you, that right there alone lets you know that their opinions were compromised. And they should, you know, have abstained at that point. Well, again, we're looking at timetables and, you know, deadlines, different things like that. You know, this guy's got to go home and, you know, eat with his family tonight that makes this decision. Does he really care about some guy in Arkansas that's on death row? But, I mean, you know, by, and the that's time the, part. by the sh- time the thing, by the time the, they, they decided to proceed with the execution and the decision, they had all of 1144 was when the execution was started. I believe he was yeah. pronounced dead at 11.56. That's yeah. four minutes to spare. Like, at the same time as the governor, I'm going to put my feet in the shoe, you know, in the boots of the governor, so to speak. If I'm the governor, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, I'm sitting here every, I've got a giant microscope on me. At least from a political aspect, there's a high chance that if we're rushing this thing, we could screw up the execution and botch the execution. And there's well, that those happen. there. Why not just yeah. relax and, you know, once again, take it easy and give ourselves more time to do this the right way. Oh, no, I would agree with that. 
you know, and there's also this disconnect that I have with people on the, uh, the other side of this argument as well. I mean, why push so much for death? You know, is it justice or is it vengeance? I mean, I look at it this way. It's vengeance. I don't see how that can be justice. You know, people that say that they're pro-death penalty are usually pro-life when it comes to, say, abortion rights issues, which makes no sense to me at all. You know, they're also pro-war, you know, when it comes to politics. Sean, I think the disconnect between the two there is the fact, now, I could maybe see the pro-war argument, but pro-life and the death penalty, I think, are two different sections. You look at somebody who has never committed a crime in their life, never had a chance in their life at that point being aborted, and then you have somebody who has committed a potentially heinous crime and, you know, taken somebody's life, you know, so on and but, so forth. But wouldn't, so wouldn't you argue... Or I can kind of see your point because, you know, in, quote-unquote innocent people are dying in that case. Well, I mean, not only that, but if you if you make the claim that you're pro-life, then I could see that you would be against abortion. You should also be against uh, the death penalty. You should also be against war. Why? Because you should be against the taking of any life. Right. See what I'm saying? Yeah. But it's really weird that, that, that someone like me who is against the death penalty, I happen to be pro-choice. It doesn't mean I'm pro-abortion. I don't like abortion, you know, but I know that it's a needed medical procedure for a lot of people. That doesn't mean that, you know, I have this thing about, you know, killing people, whatever. I'm also against war. I hate war. I'm a pacifist. I I, I can't stand it. I don't want anyone to be harmed in any way whatsoever. So, you know, as As far as, you know, being pro-death penalty, anti-death penalty, I believe maybe uh, Miss Deborah had misunderstood what I was saying as far as, you know, in my uncle's case. I'm not necessarily against the person who did this being put to death. Not by any stretch. But at the same time, I feel like maybe I may have stacked the odds against the person being put to death so much so because, once again, it's a situation where I was talking to my mom and I don't know that I could sleep at night with myself if I felt like there was even a sliver of doubt in my mind. You know, I couldn't look at that person and say, you know what, for lack of a better term, you son of a bitch, you you fucking killed my uncle, you deserve to die. You know what I'm saying? I couldn't look at that person if there was a shadow of a doubt in my mind and say that. You know what I'm saying? Well, yes, but do you think that if they, let's just say, hypothetically, they caught your uncle's murderer, they knew that he did it, he confessed, they have the evidence to convict him, you know 100% this person committed the crime, do you really want this person to die? I mean, I think a lot of my support of it is more support for my grandmother, because okay. at the at that situation, nothing's gonna uh-huh. bring my uncle back. Absolutely nothing no. is gonna bring my uncle back, especially not killing this person. But and we're killing that person know, make her feel better. What do I know? Will killing that person that committed that crime make your grandmother or you feel better about the situation? 
you know, that's something that I would have to talk to my grandmother about. But, yeah. and, and that's something, you know, I'll tell you right now why I was watching that with Liddell Lee and why I watched the other one. Because I wanted to know what to expect, what my grandmother could okay. expect in going to a death penalty case. And, you know, right. I remember coming out of it, even the first one with Liddell and saying, man, that's going to put a lot on my grandmother. And my grandmother's elderly, as, you know, you would expect any grandmother to be. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's a situation where it's very tricky with me as far as this goes. And you make a good point, you know. Uh, would it make me feel better? No, my uncle's still not here. Would it make me feel better from the aspect yeah. of the fact that something had been done and the law within the law? Yes, because I don't, and you know, the way the law of the land is written right now, if you take somebody's life, your life's going to be taken. I, I mean, then there you go. You know what I'm saying? It's one of those situations where, hey, I mean. Well, what if they got life know, in prison? If that was, if that was the, I guess I say, I guess I'm for the stiffest penalty possible for the stiffest crime imaginable. You know what I'm saying? Okay. You know, there's yeah. no crime bigger than murder. So you should get no, the I would disagree, but possible. Yeah. I guess I guess yeah, that could be a matter of opinion. But yeah. I, I feel like if you commit the stiffest crime, you should get the yeah. stiffest penalty. You know what I'm saying? I it, you know, it's one of those Kind of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? What do they call it in the military? Uh, use of force or uh, I, I forget what I'm thinking about here. Uh, reasonable use of force or something like that. I, okay. I forget the actual right. term, but uh, I yeah. mean, a, if you commit a crime and that's the stiffest penalty available, you know, hey, they go hand in hand. If you rob somebody and the stiffest penalty available is 10 years, well, then you should get that maximum 10 years if you were found guilty. You know what I'm saying? Well, yes. Um, I mean, again, yeah, we can go around in several different aspects of this conversation. Um, you know, we have, we, we have 2 million people that are incarcerated in the United States, right? Uh, most, of those are for, most of those are for nonviolent crimes, drug charges. So if we could end the drug war and we could free all of those people and they could be you know, exonerated and able to go back to work and vote and be regular citizens. Um, then we work on the most violent offenders and we actually work to rehabilitate them instead of actually just punishing them. I think we would come out with a better system and we would be able and to turn people good. around. That's what was that? Too. The question can be posed though, oh. Sean, can you rehabilitate, yeah. can you rehabilitate somebody that has in cold blood taken somebody's life? Uh, yes. Uh, if you look over in other countries, uh, you know, I've mentioned this before, Sweden, Denmark, uh, the Netherlands, they are closing prisons while we're opening prisons. They have rehabilitation programs that actually work. And these people that have committed the worst crimes are freed and put but back now, out into society. Yes. But now, Sean, I pose the question, you know, uh, you have, I believe one of the men, one of the men who, uh, one of the men who was put to death actually, kind of sort of falls under this example. But 
you have a gentleman uh, who was convicted of murder, and he was first sentenced yes. to life in prison. Yes. Uh, yes. Then the gentleman breaks out of uh, jail. He Obviously, uh-huh. you can call that leniency, right? You can call that leniency from the jury the first time. Then the gentleman uh, breaks out of jail and commits another murder. Yes. Is there rehabilitation there? Well, no, we don't rehabilitate people in America. We just punish people. You know, so the, the programs that... To get you to, I guess what I kind of want from you is to explain to me how you would rehabilitate a murderer. Well, again, in these other prisons, they don't lock them up like we do. They don't put them in cages. They don't treat them like animals. They treat them as human beings with decency and respect. They're put into a room. Uh, sometimes they have their own room with their own lock and key. Uh, you know, they're isolated away from the general public, but they have to take care of themselves. There are very few guards, and these people actually have to learn how to be human beings. And it's working. You know, these people that commit these heinous crimes, they do these projects. They, you know, they have to grow their own food, you know, all sorts of different things that they have to do to learn how to be a member of society. And then they're released. But they're not just thrown back out into the street either. There actually are programs that help them find jobs, find housing and different things like that. They don't just throw them out and say, well, there you go. Good luck. You know, right. again, I, it's a, it's, I would like to say I support something like that as far as that goes. You know, uh, I've watched enough of these prison documentaries and what have you. These four people are just thrown back out on the streets, basically homeless when you look at it from a certain aspect. You know, they have no choice but to return to, you know, selling dope on the corner or what have you. As far as that some goes, dope. you know, yeah. you really don't give them a chance. Now, I, what I would do if I – and I'll play warden here. And what I would do is I would implement a program where kind of I guess maybe like Job Corps where you're set up whenever you get out, you're automatically set up with a job. You're to report to that job as soon as you get out or not as soon as you get out, but the next business day, I guess, for that line of work you're going into. And you, you know, maybe give them enough money for a nice deposit on an apartment that would accept them. And, uh, you know, you go from there. I, I think that that would be reasonable enough for something that should happen. I would agree with that. I would say that that was a good thing. Of course, we're, we're just talking solutions. I mean, no one's going right. to listen to what you and I are saying. Because you have people out there that are going to be like, well, they get three, you know, three hots and a cot and they get to watch TV and go to college and all this stuff. And, you know, they, they need to be in work programs like a Piro does in uh, Arizona and, you know, all this other horse shit. And right. it's like, again, pe- people want to treat criminals as animals and they just want them to have the worst conditions possible. They want them to sleep on the floor and be treated inhumanely, no health care, no nothing. And it's like, you just can't do that. You can't do that to human beings. And see, Sean, part of me, though, you know, I've been to the aspect where I've listened to people say, oh, you know, getting back into the death thing or the death row thing. I've heard people say, oh, man, is that is that really humane? And I'm looking at these crimes that the person committed, you know, uh, you know, torturing somebody till they died and what have you. And I'm like, well, were they really humane whenever they committed this crime to that person who they committed the crime against? You know what I'm saying? 
So part of me is still on that, you know, and I'm, uh, as far as that goes. Well, well, if you take someone like Jeffrey Domner, who ate people after he murdered them, this this man is obviously insane. He would go into a different type of program for the criminally insane, where he would be treated differently. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But he but he would still be treated with dignity and respect, even though you probably would never allow this person, the worst of the worst, to be out ever again. He still doesn't need to be treated like an animal. He can still well, be I mean, in, in, incarcerated. He can be studied. People can learn uh, why he did what he did. What what were the factors in his life as he grew up? What type of abuse or anything that this person, you know, suffered that caused him to be this way? Then maybe we can prevent these types of crimes in the future. That's very true. You know, Sean, that makes a good point. You know, a lot of people, though, don't like that type of thought because that means, hey, we're going to have to pay more in taxes to get this person fed and so on and so forth. You know, people, you know, will think that. And I'm just, you know, presenting the opposing argument. But also another thing, you know, I just thought about with you talking about Dahmer and being placed into a, you know, obviously he was, he had mental issues, being insane and what have you. You look at this gentleman who, uh, and uh, Lord forgive me for not knowing his name, but the gentleman who uh, tried to assassinate uh, President Reagan, they're talking about yes. potentially releasing him, or they may have released him. I'm not sure. How do you feel about that? Because in that situation, you already know that this gentleman is mentally challenged. You already know that this gentleman has a uh, has a uh, fixation. He has, you know, all these things working against them. Why would you even think about releasing that back upon society? Well, again, I'm not a mental health professional. So I couldn't even determine whether he is able to go out in the general population again or not. Right. Um, someone else, someone else has made that decision, but I mean, it's been almost 40 years since that happened, and someone has made that decision. You know that it's getting close, and he may be released. So they know a lot more than I do, uh, and maybe they've made the right decision. Maybe he is rehabilitated. Uh, that's a question that we should we should probably try to find out and talk more about on the show. That's definitely true. I mean, we got about a minute and a half left on this, but uh, you know, definitely I, as we wrap things up here, I mean, it's definitely a dialogue that needs to be talked about. Is what we are doing in the prison system, especially for those that aren't convicted of the most heinous crimes, is how do you look at this and how do you fix this situation where Let's be honest, you know, you see on these same prison shows, locked up, things like that, where people say, hey, yeah, I pretty much take it as a given this person's going to be back. Well, why do you take that as a given that this person's going to be back? Is that their fault or is it your fault for not uh, properly giving them the tools to succeed? You know, uh, uh, using a military term, setting them up for failure. And in a lot of aspects, you can say that they're being set up for failure. I would I would definitely agree with that, but I would also I would work first to change the system so that innocent people aren't incarcerated and or convicted or put to death. I would do my be- I would do my best to try to make that system a lot better. Then I would work on the actual prison system itself to fix what's going on there to rehabilitate people instead of just punishing people. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Sean, we're getting down to the nitty gritty here. 
Uh, is there anything else you want to say before we go ahead and sign off for the night? Uh, I definitely want to thank Miss Deborah for being on. I want to thank Liddell's family that did show up and actually uh, speak to us tonight. Uh, again, our condolences to the family. Um, also uh, to the victim in the case and their family. And, uh, you know, I just want to, I want to thank everybody for listening from Sean Castleberry, Lisa O'Brien and Michael Carnahan. Uh, you know, we'll be back next week and we'll have a great show for you. Yes, absolutely. We'll see you next week, America. Bye.